Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right, Chris. Welcome, my man. It's good to see you again. Good to be here. Excited. Yeah, man. I mean, we're uh, we're continuing this conversation about building the dream team, and um, you and I, uh, before the show, we're talking about again, you know, the current environment. We have clients that um, have been trying to fill leadership roles for not just not weeks, not months, but years. Um, in an environment where there are more people looking for work, <laughs> more people shifting between jobs, and they can't fill this role. Uh, wh- what do you call the current environment, the mm. current employment environment here in 2022? A crapshoot? <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you know, I think you've got two factors that are affecting so many companies right now. Uh, one of them is what kind of environment are we going to have? Are we going to be a work from home? Are we going to be in the office? Are we going to be hybrid? They're having to make decisions around that. Some have already made that decision. And those tend to be ones that have said we're going to be all remote. Um, and and that affects like who you're bringing in and, and the talent. But I think the also the other part of this environment, and this is changing right now, like you and I have been talking about it, but it's actually getting into popular mainstream media now. And that's the reality of inflation. And we know what happens when inflation's there. Uh, you have to do more with less. That hiring slows down. And so all of a sudden, you know, where we're going to throw money at hiring more, it just, it's like a switch. It flips. Uh, so I think in this current environment, you you're looking at it from the standpoint of what kind of culture are we trying to build? And we've already talked about culture, but I'm talking about just specifically work from home hybrid or in the office. And then because talent is choosing based on that now, that's a reality that's happening. Um, and then also understanding that if you had whatever your organization had slated to hire this year, out of a result of what's happening in the economy right now, that number went down almost, you know, across the board. Right. Um, so we've got we've to do better with what we have. Right. So as, as, as leaders, we have to do better, better with what we have. And then, uh, then there's all these folks out there who are getting fed up with what they have, looking for uh, new opportunities. Um, it's, you know, in, I heard a stat the other day that uh, right now one in seven jobs is virtual to your point about being remote and before the pandemic it was something like one in 60 Mm. right so even though those jobs obviously a lot of those jobs could have been but they weren't because of the culture because of the environment now they are 
which is amazing because when we hire salespeople now for companies, in most cases, I have the whole country to choose from because we've, we're learning now how to manage people remotely. Uh, we're getting away from having these teams of people at desks and offices. Um, so it makes it easier for us to find the right person. I don't have to find somebody in the headquarters region or metro area, right? I can pick and choose. Uh, I can also pick and choose people from major metros, secondary metros, from rural environments. So I can control my costs that way as well, right? It costs, the cost basis is much different hiring somebody to work remote from New York City than it does to hire somebody working remote from a half hour outside of Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Well, as a values decision, some companies are making the decision to pay the same no matter what, no matter where it is. Um, so, yeah. you, you know, I, you've got a lot of stuff that's stirred up in the air, a lot of stuff that's being wrestled with and considered and thought through by these companies. But at the end of the day, what you know that you have is most likely in, in many situations, less face-to-face -face time with them than ever before, right? right? And you're going to have less people doing more work in an inflationary cycle. And so you, you mix those two together and you've got a real problem because you need more from what you have. Right. What problem do you have with that? Stress, burnout, all of the things that people are worried about. And it's a real challenge. And so we're seeing people you know, try to grapple with how do we, how do we lead through this and get proactive and not be overly reactive. Right, right, right. I hear you. So the question for me is like, what are people looking for, right? Um, what are employers looking for? What are em employees looking for? And it's interesting because when I take the voice of my customer, they say the same thing, fit, right? I'm looking for someone who fits my company, who fits the role. And employees are looking for a place where they fit, an environment where they fit, a, a manager that they they fit with, a compensation plan, uh, values, all the stuff that we've talked about. Uh, last time we talked about building um, amazing teams, we talked about this idea, uh, which you coined um, some time ago, the seven dimensions of fit. And I'd love to jump into that more. Probably won't get to it today, but we will get to it. Um, but the question really, the really, the question is, forget about the seven dimensions. For me, the question is, fit what? Hmm. Right? And this is a bigger question. Or the, I'm sorry, the answer is bigger than just um, a role. Right? Fit what? And I think for most organizations, they have, when they're thinking about who they're looking for, especially if you're, you've been looking for someone to f for your company for the last year or for months uh, instead of weeks, um, what kind of fit are you looking for? Do you really understand? Have you defined that fit? <laughs> or is this idea of fit some nebulous um, in intuition that you carry around with you? that every other manager on your team or leader on your team carries around with them. And well, I'll, I'll know it when I feel it. And 
let me ask, and I ask this to most of my, most of my clients, how's that working for you, right? How's that, how does that work for you today? Today, it doesn't. There's much less room for error. Someone's not happy, they're gone, mm-hmm. right? They're more empowered. Um, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the impact of the culture, the brand that the culture has, can a culture have a brand? Yes, it can, uh, is a differentiating factor. You've got how passionate somebody on the leadership or executive team is to attract and draw in and win talent. You know, in my own, you know, experience starting and building teams, leading organizations, the turnaround, the leaders we worked with, work with, if you have a spot that you need filled, I mean, the most intuitive advanced leaders are thinking about the spot before it even exists. That's going to exist and I'm going to need that. And I am looking around for it now before I need it. So I think if you have a spot that's gone unfilled for a long time, what what's, you know, real is somebody isn't owning uh, what it takes to draw that person in. Right. And, and it may not really be needed. It may not. It may not. I, what I would suggest is maybe another way of looking at it. It is needed, but the, the, the employer um, hasn't taken it to the next level. Yeah. Right? I mean, and let's be honest. Most organizations, and I don't care how well-developed the bureaucracy is at your company, you know, whether it's a company as big as Comcast or as small as a startup. I don't care about the bureaucracy. I don't care about the politics. Think about how people are hired. Think about how roles are identified. They are the, 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 the veracity, right? The credibility of the role and the definition. You know, are you doing today what you were hired to do a year ago, right? And the gap generally is so broad because most organizations just bring a smart person in, a warm body in, and they have them figure it out. The manager figures it out. And there's an, there's a, there's a, um, you know, a, a, there's a movement toward, right? A matriculation toward what you end up really doing because nobody has an earthly, an earthly idea of what it's going to be. Like this idea that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. That, that is maybe something that is a crutch that organizations lean on. So they, what they do is in, instead of building the systems and the processes, and instead of knowing exactly what is required to get this job done, they want to hire somebody to come in and figure it out. Well, how the hell do you find the right fit if all you're doing is hiring people and bringing them into your system to, to see if they can figure it out? Aren't you, by virtue of operating that way, automatically building in a high turnover rate? Aren't you automatically yeah. building in um, a level of dissatisfaction? Aren't you automatically accepting, right? At what point do, do you keep somebody who's only producing good work? Aren't you automatically accepting mediocrity? Because now you're deciding, well, do I get rid of them? Do I replace them? Or do I keep them? Well, it's not obvious that you should keep them. Then you're, and, then, and you do, then you're accepting mediocrity. And so aren't we now building 
mediocre teams, teams that are underperforming because we don't do the work ahead of time to know what the most predictable, repeatable way of getting that job done is so that we can now find the perfect fit for that role. Yeah. Well, and what happens, your culture ends up being defined by what you tolerate or avoid. So you tolerate this mediocrity or you avoid advancing like you could. And so now this becomes uh, a rate limiting factor or a ceiling in the expectation of the culture. And so, you know, everything you're talking about, the system, dialing in the role, getting the description of it super tight, you know, all of these are about making better with what you have. And you and I have seen it countless times. It's like a, uh, it's almost like, you know, a house plant. I think I've used this analogy before. It's in the wrong spot. It starts to die. You move it to a different part of your house and it right. lives. There are people right now, and this is the current environment we're in, that, that you've got to get them in that right spot, in that role description, whatever it is that helps them. And we see it dramatic turnaround, get it turned around. And now there are instances where you get all that dialed in and they're not going to work still. But then right. your organization is so healthy, they leave because they're unhealthy or because it's so clear that the fit isn't there. What's usually, though, end up happening is you've got these role descriptions and systems like held together by bailing wire. <laughs> you know, you've mm -hmm. rigged this and, and you're not effectively using what you have. Um, and I think for me, what's so cool about our shared conviction and passions is we don't approach being effective with what you have just because we're in an inflationary cycle now. That's the kind of work that we've been doing every day for years and years and years and years because it's about really valuing people, who they can become. You have a phrase you use a lot that I love. There are no throwaway people. Right. You know, what right. do you mean when you say that? Well, you know, I've been selling and building companies for 30 years, right? So when I was, when I, early in my career, um, I was drawn to sales. And as we were building growth companies, I, I, I observed, uh, my employers, right, uh, really not respecting sales, right? A salesman's a salesman, or aren't you all coin-operate anyway? So we'll just bring somebody in and see how it goes. And I'm like, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, we'll just find a new one. And I can see that decision from the owner or leader's perspective, right? Um, for them, it's a they're doing a economic calculus. Um, for them, it's too hard, or maybe they think it's impossible to figure out who the right person is and define that, um, and then go out and find that person because they don't want to spend the time doing it. For them, it's easier to just bring people in, and if they don't make it in the first few weeks or months, they just replace them. Mm. Um, I, can, I, I get that, but these are the guys that taught me how to dehumanize my coworkers, right? These are the guys that I learned, uh, that I learned from in my early um, dysfunctional days, right? Um, because when you look at that model, what a, what does that? What about the impact you have on the human being that you hired and then fired? 
Mm. What about the impact that, that you have on the person that you pulled out of a job mm. or out of a search cycle to bring them into your company, mm. right? So you cost them the, the job that they had or you cost them time finding the job that they were meant to have just because you're too lazy to do a good enough job at identifying fit, right? So there are, there are two sides of the equation. So too often we look at people as throwaway because of some kind of calculus that we're doing that seems to make sense to us as leaders. But really in, a, in the big picture, just, you know, probably, you'd probably say this, Chris, really just exemplifies or is a symptom of the culture that you've built. If you, th- if you think so less of the human beings that you're bringing into your company, how do you feel about the comp- people that are there? Are yeah. they throwaway as well? Let's, yeah. And, and, you know, what's powerful is understanding when you value people like this, when you, when you really do care for them, care for who they can become, it's much less emotional anguish, letting people go, moving parts and pieces around, because it's not just that you – and again, there's an exception there, I guess, if you're downsizing a lot. And I've seen leaders go through some anguish where a cycle changes and they've got to lay off a large number of people. It can be really, really tough. But you're actually thinking through it like we're setting people up to win. We're getting them in the right spot. We're getting a role description defined. We're investing in their mindset and their growth and their transformation. Whatever that looks like to help them. Or, or it's not working out here. And if we're not honest with them about the fact that it's not working out here, they're going to get slowly bitter because they're eventually going to start seeing that reality for themselves in smaller and smaller pieces, never sometimes in a full way that they would actually leave. You're going to be frustrated and bothered at them when much better you have a clear, direct conversation and you've parted ways after you've done your part, role description, pour it into them, try to do what you can to help develop them. At some point, the mature ones are going to look back on that and be thankful. Yeah. Like, hey, it wasn't working out. Thank you for not keeping me in that place (laughs) that I was not supposed to stay in because it wasn't a good fit. Right, right. Well, and I I think everything you're talking about makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, thinking about an additional calculus um, for the leader, uh, you know, back in 2000 when our normal shifted, right? We all have this, face this new reality. Mm. We face the reality of having to deliver our business virtually. So we made a huge investment over the last two years figuring out how to do that and do it well, uh, which has caused us to do some research. Mm. So we went back and looked at the last 10,000 working sessions that we had um, conducted with our clients, our most successful clients. And one of the things that we pulled out of that was the realization that we could significantly increase the growth trajectory of our of our clients without adding additional people. <laughs> right? So and I would I mean this is the right time for that kind of message. Yeah. But, you know, today we're talking with clients and the statistics that we use is that you can triple your rate of growth without adding an additional salesperson. And when we say this out loud, 
to heads of sales and CEOs, they're either they either think we're full of crap or they're like, oh my God, you're right. Because they see the waste, they see the inefficiency inside their organization. And the second thing they think about is, you're right. <laughs> they said they think, oh my God, if I bring a functional person into an inefficient or dysfunctional organization, and dysfunction doesn't mean it's obviously dysfunctional. It can just mean, hey, no one follows a common sales process here. In fact, no one follows a predictable, repeatable sales process here. We as salespeople all just kind of show up and wing it. That to me is a less functional or a dysfunctional organization. You hire someone functional into that, into that organization, what are you saying to them? Come on in, let's see if your brand of selling will work here. We'll give you a shot. It's the same pattern you and I have discussed already being repeated over and over again. What ends up happening is when you have a team of people all doing their own thing, you of course are going to hit a ceiling of scalability because a manager can't possibly uh, support and improve all of those people over time. Um, and you have no earthly idea what makes your top rep successful. Yeah. You also have no idea which of your reps are going to hit their number this quarter or not. Yeah. Because, because they're playing a craps game as well. Um, so what do you do? You give them all a unified process to follow, something that's predictable, repeatable, that identifies those predictable patterns of success. You deliver that to them. You reinforce the execution. And by the way, you're not forcing them to use it. They have to, the part of the deal is they have to recognize it as a system that actually improves how they sell, how they produce. If you can come to that balance, boom. Now you're, now you have the chance to take all these amazing people who understand your, you have all the institutional knowledge they need, they understand your customers, they understand how the business operates. You're just making them more efficient and effective. Yeah. You're just giving them the tools that they need to stop kind of throwing shit against the wall to see if it sticks, right? Yeah. You're giving them a system and you're reinforcing that one system. And by the way, they're all helping each other reinforce that system. Kind of sounds like a team. Dude, right on. I mean, I love, and I love how strongly you can anchor it in a result. Um, and I would say for the leaders we work with, what we're seeing when that impact is measured, you're capturing 50 to 30% of your day that was getting wasted. Now, how do I say that? Uh, insecurities, just like for you when you're looking at the systems and the processes, we're not building a sales championship team. In, in a leader's life, insecurities create inefficiencies. You actually are wasting mental effort and energy. You're formulating you know, in ways you don't need to be formulating. Um, and so a quote that you know I love that I may have shared here before, but Robert Keegan, the adult development specialist, talking about the workplace in his book, In Everyone Culture, he says, everyone is doing a second job no one is getting paid for, hiding their limitations, hiding their insecurities, hiding their inadequacies, you know, all this stuff. And so... We, we actually structure it not just as a conversation around what's being hidden, but also what's how we're proving, how we're trying to over-control and over-exert and we're wasting energy. And so, yeah, the conviction there is you've got a chunk of the day being wasted 
And so when we say you can get more from what you have without stressing them out, without burning them out, without wearing them out, how? Exactly what you're saying, get the right people in there selling, get the processes dialed in and tight. And what we're saying, get the leaders transformed. Right. Get right, them right. transformed as leaders so those insecurities aren't defining their daily existence. Well, and that's where that's where you and I come together, right? So we we together we have connected those nine common insecurities in the realm of sales to limiting beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. So those insecurities create limiting beliefs. Those limiting beliefs create bad sales habits or bad habits. So to your point or to Keegan's point, yes, you're wasting time living in the insecurity. Mm. It's burning energy. It's distracting you, making you less creative, less efficient, less functional, less supportive, less powerful. But it's also manifesting in beliefs, self-limiting beliefs that create bad habits. And so a boss can see those bad habits, send you to training, and not get any performance improvement. Why? Because the training doesn't address the insecurities and the beliefs at the basis or at the seat that are the seat of those bad habits. So you got to go deeper. Yeah. So instead of kind of like trying to affect the symptom, let's affect the root cause. And unfortunately, because so many leaders ignore their own insecurities, self-limiting beliefs and bad habits, they don't think of uh, what they can do for their employees and the impact that can have on elevating the productivity and performance of an entire team. Yes, yes. Well, and this is frankly why so much crappy surface level leadership training and sales training can exist because a lot of environments are really broken and dysfunctional. Mm. Like, you know, we have a current situation and I won't go into too much detail, but let's just imagine there's a company and they got a ton of factories and they want help you know, turning a really broken one around, well, that's easy. Like, that's not super crazy hard to get from 10% of a quality culture or 30% of a quality culture to this 80% mark. You know, you can throw some facilitated trainings on it, get your feedback, have some benchmarks and be like, look what we did for this place. Just like, just like, you could take me out on the golf range and get me from a terrible player to okay just by teaching me, right, some simple things. But if I said to you, Jimmy, hey, I'm at a 95% effectiveness as a golf player. I'm like one of the best and I want to get to 96 or 97%. Can you get me there? You would say, man, you got to get a, a world-class approach, right? Well, you got to have your, get your head out of your ass first, right? Because I mean, <laughs> then it ain't I mean, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, just think about it, dude. I mean, if you have a dysfunctional organization or an organization that's not, that not, that's not performing as they could or performing as they should, especially if they're one element of an enterprise, a global enterprise like the one you're talking about, well, why don't we just take the same systems that we have at one company and put them in another, in, the, yeah. in this company? Okay, great. Let's do that. Okay, done. Now what? People are the same. Okay, well, yeah. what do we do with the people? Well, why don't we replace them? Okay, well, good luck. That could take years. Why not develop them? Okay, well, let's let's put them through training. 
And then, and how are we going to measure the effectiveness of the training? Well, let's, I got a great idea. Let's um, have them give the trainer a score. Exactly. Out of five to tell us how much they enjoyed the training. And so, yeah, we can ask them some really deep and tough questions, but at the end of the day, they're going to be scoring the fact that, yes, everything the trainer told me was true, and the trainer wasn't a jerk, right? I actually liked her. She was smart, witty. I enjoyed myself. Entertaining event. Thank you very much. Five out of five, or four and a half out of five. I used to do training that way. I, <laughs> I was proud of my 4.7 score on average, right, for the thousands of folks that I trained. But guess what? Everyone complains about the fact that nothing gets implemented. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, there was no connection made between that learning and execution. Mm -hmm. What's blocking them? The belief systems that they entered that training room with were never affected. The same beliefs that made, that made them underperform were never addressed to help uh, them overcome those limitations. Absolutely. Training and it, fails. And it's why you can also move somebody from kind of crappy to okay or okay to fairly mediocre and get great scores, but to have it transform them, to move right. people to greatness. And if you're listening to this and you're already at that 95% level and you want to get to 96, 97%, you know how hard or fought for those percentage points are. Moving people to greatness requires a holistic, transformative approach. Right. It cannot be piecemeal. Hey, if you're out there and you're leading people and, and you're reading a sales book together and you're reading a leadership book together and you're doing something, hey, that is better than nothing. But don't expect it to deliver at the same level a holistic approach does. Right. Right. You know, because you're not going to piecemeal your way into excellence or greatness. Right. So, so, so just so summarizing what you're saying, uh, the holistic approach has two components. One is what I brought to the table at the beginning of the conversation: this idea of have you as a leader identified the predictable patterns of success that you can then build into processes and systems that become stable components of how your team operates and maybe how each individual in each role operates. But if you can do that work ahead of time, now you've got the systems in place. And by the way, these are not systems that you force people to use. These are systems people use because they make them better. Everyone recognizes how they're more effective when they use the system than when they don't. Yes. And then the other side of it is, how do we get them using them in the first place? Well, we've got to take folks that are used to, that have these bad habits that, um, or behaviors that are not helping them. We have, to, we have to kind of connect them back to the belief systems at the core of those habits and the insecurities at the core of those belief systems so that we can really understand, we can help them understand where they're coming from. We can help them understand the thought process, right? the decisions they make that lead to the inefficient decisions or I'm sorry, inefficient actions that they take. If we can do that, then we can help them actually lead their own change and unblock their abilities to adapt and adopt the new skills that we're trying to train them to. So now you've got people who are willing and able 
to adapt and adopt a systematic approach to success. I love it. Such strong verbs. Unblock. Adapt. These are the things that, these are the realities for how you do it. And the people that don't know, that haven't been, you know, through transformative processes and haven't built them for others, create approaches that are more about pressure and striving right. and forcing right. and hype right. than right. unblock, than adapt, right. than resilient. You, you relax into your greatness. You do not pressure yourself into it. And uh, hey, man, that's what we get to do with people. Pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, and you know, I love it. And I it also <laughs> it also tests a lot of the. Um, universal truths, right, that I was exposed to early on. And one that I'm thinking of right now is this idea of fake it till you make it. Mm. <laughs> right? I mean, on, on one hand, you want to be champion. You know, the idea is show up as the champion and, um, you know, eventually you'll get there, right? Uh, but this idea of faking it, right, what if you never make it and you're just a fake? Yeah. <laughs> so why not why not do the work? Right? Why not also do the work to understand, you know, what are what is blocking you and whether or not it is it just a matter of hard work or is there something and is there something deeper <laughs> blocking you, right? So you don't have to fake it. You can actually know exactly what you're doing so you can show up as your true authentic self and, you know, be taking those very predictable, repeatable steps toward whatever goal you have. Yeah. Well, if more effort would get you there, hustle and grind would would right. always get you where you want to go, and we know it doesn't. You have to right. approach it different, think about it different. Sorry I banged my desk with my knuckle because I got excited. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and yeah, uh, this is it, man. Well, fun, fun episode yeah, yeah. to talk about where it's at right now for people as they need to get more from what they have. But it's where we've been living this whole time. Yeah. Good stuff. So so now we know kind of as an employer what we can do to, to understand uh, the definition of fit that we want for the people that we bring into our organization and the people that we have in our company, especially in the context of a workforce realignment initiative. And we also now understand um, what individuals can do in terms of understanding who they are and what um, environments are best for them so they can stop kind of just jumping from job to job and th and think very um, um, specifically and thoughtfully about where they should be um, to find that find that ideal opportunity right on and, and then next time we can talk we can take it deeper into the seven dimensions we talked about let's do it All right. thanks a bunch Peace, buddy. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.